Greetings, family. Fernando here. We're going to do um, listening to a book called The Power of the Blood of Jesus by Andrew Murray. The Vital Role of Blood for Redemption, Sanctification, and Life. The other thing that it qualifies us, it gives us confidence. It gives us the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ that we can reign in life. It gives us uh, faith, hope, believing, and it's that missing ingredients for confidence in us to do abundantly life and help others and be interested in this stuff because we're, uh, uh, we're interested. I'm interested in this. So when I'm walking around, I'm listening to this kind of stuff on my podcast. So I hope some of you are with me in this area. We want, to go, we want to know more. Why is the blood of Jesus so interesting, so intriguing? <clears throat> There's power in the blood. The blood is in the ground. The blood of Jesus is all over the world. It's in every water molecule and moisture. All we got to do is thank God for it, and we activate it in our system. We're 70% water, and we thank God <clears throat> Every blessing of God, every atom of God gets activated as we, in the similitude of God, acknowledge it. <clears throat> Thank you, God, for the blood. Thank you, God, for the electronics. Thank you for our ears and our eyes and our hearts that we can hear, Lord, the sanctification, the redemption of, your, of the power and understand the blood of Jesus Christ. We want to do more. We want to heal people, communicate to people, and spread the message of Jesus Christ just by smiling to people so they can see Jesus inside of us. Amen, family. Amen. Here we go. The book of Andrew Murray. We'll see how it goes. Well, let's listen to the introduction, and we'll go from there. The Power of the Blood of Jesus on YouTube for free. The Power of the Blood of Jesus, updated edition, The Vital Role of Blood for Redemption, Sanctification, and Life. Written by Andrew Murray, narrated by Simon Williams. Preface. I forgot. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God. We acknowledge you, Lord. We acknowledge you, Lord. We put you on the in the front of our foreheads, Lord God, in our hearts, Lord God. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Grant us, Lord, your words, Lord. Grant us the third dimension, the fourth dimension, Lord God, in listening and going into your heavenly heavens and receiving information and wisdom and vital energy from this talk. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. Here we go, the preface. This book is a translation of portions of messages by my late father, Reverend Andrew Murray, M.A., D.D., on The Power of the Blood of Jesus, which so far have appeared only in Dutch. The translator is the Reverend William M. Douglas, B.A., who was my father's intimate friend and associated with him in connection with the South African Keswick Convention movement for many years. During my father's lifetime, he permitted Mr. Douglas to translate his book, The Prayer Life, and after my father's death, 
Mr. Douglas became his biographer. After reading this manuscript, I believe the translation is excellent. He has reproduced the thoughts of my father exactly. I am certain blessings will result from the prayerful and thoughtful listening to these chapters. Trusting you may learn to value and live in the experience of the power of the precious blood of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, I remain yours in the blessed Master's service, M. E. Murray, Clairvaux, Wellington, Cape Province, South Africa. Chapter 1. What the Scriptures Teach About the Blood Not Without Blood Hebrews 9, 7 God has spoken to us in the Scriptures in numerous parts and in various manners, but the voice is always the same. It is the word of the same God. For that reason, treating the Bible as a whole and receiving the witness it gives in its various portions concerning definite truths is essential. In this way, we can recognize the place these truths occupy in the heart of God. We can discover the foundational truths of the Bible, which demand attention more than others do. These truths stand prominently with each new development in God's revelation. They remain unchanged when the dispensation changes, and they carry a divine suggestion of their importance. In the following chapters, my objective is to show what the Scriptures teach us about the glorious power of the blood of Jesus and the wonderful blessings secured for us. I cannot lay a better foundation for my exposition or give a better proof of the matchless glory of that blood as the power of redemption than by asking my listeners to follow along through the Bible. We will see the unique place that is given to the blood from the beginning to the end of God's revelation of himself to man as recorded in the Bible. Clearly, no single scriptural theme from Genesis to Revelation is kept in view more consistently and prominently than that expressed by the words, the blood. Our study, then, is what the scriptures teach us about the blood. One, in the Old Testament. Two, in the teaching of our Lord Jesus. Three, in what the Apostles teach, and four, in the book of Revelation. Blood in the Old Testament The record about the blood begins at the gates of Eden, but I will not investigate the unrevealed mysteries of Eden. The connection of blood with Abel's sacrifice, however, is plain to see. He brought of the firstborn of his flock to the Lord as a sacrifice. There, in connection with the first act of worship recorded in the Bible, blood was shed, Genesis 4, 4. We learn from Hebrews 11, 4, that it was by faith that Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice, and his name appears first in the record of those whom the Bible calls believers. Scripture, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which she obtained witness that he was righteous. Hebrews 11, 4. So, Abel's faith and God's good pleasure in him are closely connected with the sacrificial blood. In light of later revelation, this testimony given at the very beginning of human history is of deep significance. It shows that there can be no approach to God, no fellowship with him by faith, and no enjoyment of his favor apart from blood. Scripture gives little detail of the next 16 centuries, but then came the flood, 
which was God's judgment on sin by the destruction of the world of mankind. But God brought forth a new earth from that dreadful baptism of water. Notice, however, that the new earth was also baptized with blood, and the first recorded act of Noah after he had left the ark was the offering of a burnt sacrifice to God. As with Abel in the beginning, so with Noah at a new beginning. Connection with God was not without blood. Sin once again prevailed, however, and God laid an entirely new foundation for the establishment of his kingdom on earth. By the divine call of Abram and the miraculous birth of Isaac, God chose a people to serve him, but his purpose was not accomplished apart from the shedding of the blood. This is apparent in the most solemn hour of Abraham's life. God had already entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham, and his faith had already been severely tried, and he had stood the test. Scripture, And he did not weaken in faith. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about one hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He doubted not the promise of God with unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that he was also powerful to do all that he had promised. Therefore his faith was also attributed unto him as righteousness. Romans 4, 19-22 It was reckoned, or counted to him, for righteousness. Scripture For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Romans 4, 3 Yet Abraham had to learn that Isaac, the son of promise, who belonged wholly to God, could be truly surrendered to God only by death. Isaac had to die. For Abraham, as well as for Isaac, only by death could freedom from the self-life be obtained. Abraham had to offer Isaac on the altar. That was not an arbitrary command of God. It was the revelation of a divine truth. It is only through death that a life truly consecrated to God is possible. Scripture By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, That in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. Hebrews 11, 17-19 but it was impossible for Isaac to die and rise again from the dead. Because of sin, death would hold him fast. Scripture And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and beheld behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Genesis 22:13. Isaac's life was spared and a ram was offered in his place. Through the blood that then flowed on Mount Moriah, Isaac's life was spared. He and his descendants lived before God, but not without blood. By that blood he was figuratively raised again from the dead. The great lesson of substitution is clearly taught here. Four hundred years pass, and Isaac's descendants have become the people of Israel in Egypt. Through her deliverance from Egyptian bondage, Israel became recognized as God's firstborn among the nations. Scripture Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, The Lord hath said thus, 
Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Exodus 4, 22. Once again, it is not without blood. Neither the grace of God, nor his covenant with Abraham, nor the exercise of his omnipotence, which could have destroyed their oppressors, could dispense with the necessity of the blood. What the blood accomplished on Mount Moriah for one person, Abraham, who was the father of the nation, now had to be experienced by that nation. By the sprinkling of the door frames of the Israelites with the blood of the Paschal Lamb and the institution of the Passover as an enduring ordinance, the people were taught that life could be obtained only by the death of a substitute. Scripture This blood shall be to you for a sign upon the houses where ye are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Exodus 12:13. Life was possible for them only through the blood of a life given in their place and appropriated by the sprinkling of the blood. Scripture By faith he, Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Hebrews 11:28. In the third month, this lesson was enforced in a striking manner. Israel had reached Sinai, and God had given his law as the foundation of his covenant. That covenant now had to be established, and as stated in Hebrews 9, 7, not without blood. Moses sprinkled the sacrificial blood on the altar, and then on the book of the covenant, representing God's side of that covenant. Then he sprinkled it on the people with the declaration, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Exodus 24, 8, Hebrews 9, 19. The covenant had its foundation and power in that blood, and by it alone God and man can be brought into covenant fellowship. That which had been foreshadowed at the gate of Eden, on Mount Ararat, on Moriah, and in Egypt, was now confirmed at the foot of Sinai in a most solemn manner. Without blood there could be no access by sinful man to a holy God. There is, however, a marked difference between the manner of applying the blood in the former cases as compared to the latter. On Moriah the life was redeemed by the shedding of the blood. In Egypt it was sprinkled on the doorposts of the houses but at Sinai it was sprinkled on the persons themselves. The contact was closer, the application more powerful. Immediately after the establishment of the covenant, the command was given, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. Exodus 25, 8 They were to enjoy the full blessedness of having the God of the covenant abiding among them. Through his grace they could find him and serve him in his house. He himself gave, with the minutest care, directions for the arrangement and service of that house. Imagine yourself in this temple. You notice that the blood is the centre and reason for all of this. Draw near to the vestibule of the earthly temple of the heavenly king, and the first thing visible is the altar of burnt offering, where the sprinkling of blood continues without ceasing from morning until evening. Enter the holy place and the most conspicuous thing is the golden altar of incense, which is constantly sprinkled with the blood. 
Ask what lies beyond the holy place, and you will be told that it is the most holy place where God dwells. If you ask how he dwells there, and how he is approached, you will be told, not without blood. The golden throne where his glory shines is itself sprinkled with the blood once every year, when the high priest alone enters to bring in the blood and to worship God. The highest act in that worship is the sprinkling of the blood. If you inquire further, you will be told that always and for everything the blood is the one necessary thing. The way to fellowship with God is through the blood alone, at the consecration of the house or of the priests, at the birth of a child, in the deepest repentance of sin, in the highest festival, and in everything. This continued for 1500 years. At Sinai, in the desert, at Shiloh, and in the temple on Mount Moriah, it continued until our Lord came to fulfill and thereby make an end of all shadows or types by bringing in the substance and establishing a fellowship with the Holy One in spirit and truth. Blood in the Teaching of Our Lord Jesus With the coming of Jesus, old things passed away, and all things became new. He came from the Father in heaven and can tell us in divine words the way to the Father. Sometimes we are told that the words, not without blood, belong to the Old Testament. But what does our Lord Jesus Christ say? First notice that when John the Baptist announced his coming, he spoke of him as filling a dual office, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John 1, 29, The outpouring of the blood of the Lamb of God had to take place before the outpouring of the Spirit could be given. Only when all that the Old Testament taught about the blood had been fulfilled could the Spirit begin its work. The Lord Jesus Christ plainly declared that his death on the cross was the purpose for which he came into the world. His death was the means of the redemption and life that he came to bring. He clearly states that the shedding of his blood was necessary in his death. In the synagogue at Capernaum, Jesus spoke of himself as the bread of life that he would give for the life of the world. John 6:35. Four times he said most emphatically, Unless ye drink his blood, ye shall have no life in you. Whosoever drinks my blood has eternal life. My blood is drink indeed. He that drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. John 6, 53-56 Footnote Literal drinking of blood was forbidden in Jewish law, so we know that John is speaking figuratively here. Leviticus 17, 14 According to the NAS Greek lexicon, the figurative definition of the word drink is to receive into the soul what serves to refresh, strengthen, and nourish it unto eternal life. Our Lord thus declared the fundamental fact that He, as the Son of the Father who came to restore our lost life to us, can do this in no other way than by dying for us, by shedding His blood for us and making us partakers of its power. Our Lord confirmed the teaching of the Old Testament offerings. 
that man can only live through the death of another and thus obtain a life that, through resurrection, has become eternal. But Christ himself cannot make us partakers of that eternal life which he has obtained for us, except by the shedding of his blood and causing us to drink it. Marvellous fact! Not without blood can eternal life be ours. Equally striking is our Lord's declaration of the same truth on the last night of his earthly life. Before he completed the great work of his life by giving it as a ransom for many, he took the cup at the Last Supper, saying, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, 28 Without shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Hebrews 9, 22 Without remission of sins there is no life, but by the shedding of his blood he has obtained a new life for us. By what he calls the drinking of his blood, he shares his life with us. The blood which was shed in the atonement frees us from the guilt of sin and from death, the punishment of sin. The blood which by faith we receive into our soul gives us his life. The blood he shed was first for us and then given to us. Blood in the Teaching of the Apostles after his resurrection and ascension, our Lord is no longer known by the apostles after the flesh. Scripture, Therefore from now on we know no one according to the flesh, and even if we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer. 2 Corinthians 5.16 Now all that was symbolic has passed away, and the deep spiritual truths expressed by symbol are unveiled. But there is no veiling of the blood. It still occupies a prominent place. The epistle to the Hebrews was written purposely to show that the temple service had become unprofitable, and God intended it to pass away now that Christ had come. Here, if anywhere, it might be expected that the Holy Spirit would emphasize the true spirituality of God's purpose. Yet it is here that a new value is given to the phrase, the blood of Jesus. We read concerning our Lord that by his own blood he entered in once into the sanctuary designed for eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 12 How much more shall the blood of the Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from the works of death to serve the living God? Hebrews 9, 14 Having therefore, brethren, Boldness to enter into the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10:19. Ye are come to Jesus, the mediator of the New Testament, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaks better than that of Abel. Hebrews 12, 22, 24. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 12. Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal testament. Hebrews 13, 20 By such words, the Holy Spirit teaches us that the blood is the central power of our entire redemption. Not without blood is as valid in the New Testament as in the Old. 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus shed in his death for sin can cover sin on God's side or remove it on ours. We find the same teaching in the writings of the apostles. Paul writes of being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus, the Christ, whom God purposed for reconciliation through faith in his blood. Romans 3, 24-25 Later, Paul writes, Much more now justified in his blood, we shall be saved from wrath by him. Romans 5, 9 To the Corinthians, he declares that The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the fellowship of the blood of the Christ? 1 Corinthians 10, 16 In the epistle to the Galatians, Paul uses the word cross to convey the same meaning, while in Colossians he unites the two words and speaks of the blood of his cross. Galatians 6.14, Colossians 1.20 He reminds the Ephesians that we have redemption through his blood and that we are made near by the blood of the Christ. Ephesians 1.7-2.13 Peter reminds his readers that they were chosen to obey and be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus the Christ. 1 Peter 1, 2. He said that they were redeemed with the precious blood of the Christ. 1 Peter 1, 19. See how John assures his little children that the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. The Son is Jesus, the Christ, who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood. 1 John 5, 6 By glorying in the blood, all of them agree that the power for eternal redemption through Christ is fully accomplished and is then applied by the Holy Spirit. But perhaps this is merely earthly language. What does heaven say? What do we learn from future glory? Blood in the Book of Revelation It is of greatest importance to notice that in the Book of Revelation, where God describes the glory of his throne and the blessedness of those who surround it, the blood retains its prominent place. On the throne John saw a lamb as it had been slain, Revelation 5, 6. As the elders fell down before the Lamb, they sang a new song. Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us unto God by thy blood. Revelation 5, 9 Later, when he saw the great company, which no man could number, he was told who they were. These are those who came out of great tribulation, and have washed their long robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, 14. Then again, John heard the song of victory over the defeat of Satan. They have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, 11. In the glory of heaven, as seen by John, there was no phrase by which the great purposes of God, the wondrous love of the Son of God, or the power of his redemption, and the joy and thanksgiving of the redeemed, can be gathered up and expressed except this the blood of the Lamb. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, from the closing of the gates of Eden to the opening of the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem, 
there runs a golden thread. The blood unites the beginning and the end and gloriously restores what sin had destroyed. It is not difficult to see what lessons the Lord wishes us to learn from the fact that the blood occupies such a prominent place in Scripture. God has no other way of dealing with sin or the sinner except through the blood. For victory over sin and the deliverance of the sinner, God has provided no other means or thought than the blood of Christ. Yes, it is indeed something that surpasses all understanding. All the wonders of grace are focused in the blood. The incarnation by which he took upon himself our flesh and blood, John 1, 14. The love that spared not itself, but surrendered itself to death. Romans 5, 8. The righteousness, the forgiveness by redemption through his blood. Ephesians 1, 7. The substitution, the righteous one atoned for the unrighteous. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The atonement for sin. Hebrews 2, 17. The justification made possible renewed fellowship with God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. The cleansing and sanctification to fit us for that fellowship. Ephesians 5, 25-27. The true oneness in life with the Lord Jesus as he gives his life. John 17, 11, 21. The eternal joy of the hymn of praise. Thou hast redeemed us unto God. Revelation 5, 9. All these are but rays of the wondrous light which are reflected upon us from the precious blood of Jesus. The blood must have the same place in our hearts that it has with God. From the beginning of God's dealings with man, from before the foundation of the world, the heart of God has rejoiced in the blood of Jesus. Our heart will never rest nor find salvation until we also learn to walk and glory in the power of that blood. The penitent sinner longing for pardon is not the only one who must value the blood of Jesus. No, the redeemed will also experience that yearning as God sits upon the throne of grace in his temple where the blood is always evident. Nothing draws our hearts closer to God and fills them with his love and joy and glory as living in constant spiritual view of that blood. Let us take time and trouble to learn the full blessing and power of that blood. The blood of Jesus is the greatest mystery of eternity, the deepest mystery of the divine wisdom. Let's not imagine that we can easily grasp its meaning. God thought 4,000 years was necessary to prepare men for it, and we also must take time if we are to gain the knowledge of the power of the blood. Even taking time is not enough, however, unless that taking involves sacrificial trouble. The sacrificial blood always meant the offering of a life. The Israelite could not obtain blood for the pardon of his sin unless the life of something that belonged to him was offered in sacrifice. The Lord Jesus did not offer up his own life and shed his blood to spare us from the sacrifice of our lives. No, indeed, he did it to make the sacrifice of our lives possible and desirable. The hidden value of his blood is the spirit of self-sacrifice, where the blood really touches the heart 
it works out in that heart a similar spirit of self-sacrifice. We learn to give ourselves and our lives to press into the power of that new life which the blood has provided. We give our time to become acquainted with these things in God's Word. We separate ourselves from sin, worldly-mindedness, and self-will, so the power of the blood may not be hindered, because it seeks to remove these things. We surrender ourselves to God in prayer and faith, so we don't think our own thoughts or hold our own lives as a prize, but as possessing nothing except what He gives. Then He reveals to us the glorious and blessed life that has been prepared for us by the blood. We can rely upon the Lord Jesus to reveal the power of His blood. By our confident trust in Him, the blessing obtained by the blood becomes ours. We must never separate the blood from the High Priest who shed it and lives to apply it. He who once gave His blood for us will impart its potential. Trust Him to do this. Trust Him to open your eyes and give you a deeper spiritual insight. Trust Him to teach you to think about the blood as God thinks about it. Trust Him to impart to you and make effective in you all that He enables you to see. Trust Him, above all, in the power of His eternal High Priesthood to work unceasingly in you the full merits of His blood, so that your whole life may be an uninterrupted abiding in the sanctuary of God's presence. Believer, you who have come to the knowledge of the precious blood, hearken to the invitation of your Lord. Come nearer. Let him teach you. Let him bless you. Let him cause his blood to become spirit and life and power and truth to you. Begin now at once to open your soul in faith to receive the full, mighty, heavenly effects of the precious blood in a more glorious manner than you have ever experienced. He himself will work these things out in your life. Chapter 2. Redemption by Blood Knowing that ye have been ransomed, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without contamination. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 The shedding of his blood was the culmination of the sufferings of our Lord. The atoning effectiveness of those sufferings was in that shed blood. Therefore, the believer should not be satisfied with the mere acceptance of the blessed truth that he is redeemed by that blood, but he should press on to a more complete knowledge of what is meant by that statement and learn what that blood is intended to do in a surrendered soul. Its effects are manifold, for we read in Scripture of reconciliation through the blood, cleansing through the blood, sanctification through the blood, Union with God through the blood. Victory over Satan through the blood. Life through the blood. These are separate blessings, but are all included in one phrase. Redemption by the blood. Only when the believer understands these blessings and how they may become his can he experience the full power of redemption. Before we consider the details of these several blessings, Let's examine in a more general way the power of the blood of Jesus. 
1. Wherein does the power of that blood lie? 2. What has that power accomplished? 3. How can we experience its effects? Where does the power of the blood lie? In other words, what is it that gives such power to the blood of Jesus? How is it that there is power in the blood alone that is possessed by nothing else? The answer to this question is found in Leviticus. For the soul, or life, of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you to reconcile your persons, or souls, upon the altar. Therefore the same blood reconciles the person. Leviticus 17.11 It is because the soul, or life, is in the blood, and the blood is offered to God on the altar, that it has in it redemptive power. The soul or life is in the blood. Therefore, the value of the blood corresponds to the value of the life that is in it. The life of a sheep or goat is of less value than the life of an ox. So the blood of a sheep or a goat in an offering is of less value than the blood of an ox. Leviticus 4 The life of man is more valuable than that of many sheep or oxen. Now who can determine the value or the power of the blood of Jesus? In that blood dwelt the soul of the Holy Son of God. The eternal life of the Godhead was carried in that blood, as can be seen by Paul's advice to the Ephesians. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you as bishops to feed the congregation of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. The power of that blood, in its various effects, is nothing less than the eternal power of God himself. What a glorious thought for everyone who desires to experience the full power of the blood. But the power of the blood lies above everything else in the fact that it is offered to God on the altar for redemption. When we think of blood as shed, we think of death. Death follows when the blood or the soul is poured out. Death makes us think of sin, for death is the punishment of sin. Scripture, For the wages of sin is death, but the grace of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 God gave Israel the blood on the altar as the atonement or covering for sin. That means the sins of the transgressor were laid on the victim, and its death was reckoned as the death or punishment for the sins laid upon it. Scripture, This shall be the law of sin. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the atonement as sin be killed before the Lord, for it is most holy. Leviticus 6.25 The blood was thus the life given up to death for the satisfaction of the law of God and in obedience to his command. Sin was so entirely covered and atoned for it was no longer reckoned as that of the transgressor. He was forgiven. But all these sacrifices and offerings were only types and shadows until the Lord Jesus came. His blood was the reality to which these types pointed. Scripture, For he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 his blood was in itself of infinite value, because it carried his soul, or life. 
but the atoning virtue of his blood was infinite also because of the manner in which it was shed. In holy obedience to the Father's will, he subjected himself to the penalty of the broken law by pouring out his soul unto death. By that death, not only was the penalty paid, but the law was also satisfied and the Father glorified. His blood atoned for sin and thus made it powerless. His blood has a marvelous power for removing sin and opening heaven for the sinner. It cleanses and sanctifies and makes him fit for heaven. So why does the blood of Jesus have such wonderful power? Because Jesus was the wonderful person whose blood was shed, and because of the wonderful way in which it was shed. It fulfilled the law of God and satisfied its just demands. It is the blood of atonement, and therefore is sufficient to redeem and accomplish everything for and in the sinner that is necessary to salvation. What has that power accomplished? As we see the wonders of what that power has accomplished, we will be encouraged to believe that it can do the same for us. We can best see this in the examples in the scriptures of the great things that have taken place through the power of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has opened the grave. We read in Hebrews, Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal testament. Hebrews 13, 20. It was through the excellence of the blood that God raised Jesus from the dead. God's almighty power was not exerted apart from the blood. He came to earth as a guarantee and a bearer of the sin of mankind. Through the shedding of his blood alone, he had the right, as man, to rise again and obtain eternal life through resurrection. His blood had satisfied the law and righteousness of God. By giving his lifeblood, he had overcome the power of sin and brought it to nothing. Scripture, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. So death was defeated, as its sting had been removed, and the devil was also defeated, who held the power of death, but now lost all right over him and us. Scripture, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, Jesus, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the empire, power, of death, that is, the devil. Hebrews 2.14 His blood had destroyed the power of death, the devil, and hell. But God's purpose and grace is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has annulled death and has brought life and incorruption to light through the Gospel. 2 Timothy 1.10 The blood of Jesus has opened the grave, and he who believes that will perceive the close connection which exists between the blood and the almighty power of God. Only through the blood does God exert his almightiness in dealing with sinful men. The resurrection power of God gives entrance into eternal life where the blood of Christ is applied. His blood has made a complete end of the power of death and hell. The effects of the blood surpass all human thought. The blood of Jesus has opened heaven. 
We read in Hebrews 9.12 that by his own blood he, Christ, entered in once into the sanctuary designed for eternal redemption. We know that in the Old Testament tabernacle, God's declared presence was inside the veil. No power of man could remove that veil, and the high priest alone could enter, but only with blood, or he would lose his own life. Scripture, And I will dwell among the sons of Israel, and shall be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord your God. Exodus 29, 45-46 And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he not enter at all times into the sanctuary, inside the veil, before the seat of reconciliation, which is upon the ark, that he not die. For I will appear in the cloud above the seat of reconciliation. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place, with a young bullock as sin, and a ram as a burnt offering. Leviticus 16, 2-3 That was a picture of the power of sin in the flesh, which separates us from God. The eternal righteousness of God guarded the entrance to the most holy place that no flesh might approach him. But now our Lord appears not in a physical temple, but in the true temple. As high priest and representative of his people, Jesus asks for entrance into the presence of the Holy One for the sinful children of Adam. He requested that they be with me where I am, John 17, 24. He asks that heaven may be opened for each one, even for the greatest sinner who believes in him. His request is granted. But how is that? It is through the blood. He entered through his own blood. The blood of Jesus has opened heaven. Scripture For Christ is not entered into the sanctuary made with hands, which is a figure of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself many times, as the high priest enters into the sanctuary each year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise it would have been necessary for him to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the consummation of the ages, he has appeared to abolish sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9, 24-26 So it is through the blood that the throne of grace remains settled in heaven. In the midst of heaven, nearest to God, the judge of all, and to Jesus, the mediator, the Holy Spirit gives a prominent place to the blood of sprinkling. Scripture Unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the congregation of the called-out ones of the firstborn, who are registered in the heavens, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the New Testament, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaks better than that of Abel. Hebrews 12, 22-24 it is the constant mention of that blood that keeps heaven open for sinners and sends streams of blessings down on earth. It is through that blood that Jesus, as mediator, carries on his work as an advocate without ceasing. The throne of grace owes its existence to the power of that blood. And we can now come boldly unto the throne of his grace 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 Oh, the wonderful power of the blood of Christ! Just as it has opened the gates of the grave and hell, so it has opened the gates of heaven for us to enter through him. The blood has an almighty power over the kingdom of darkness and hell beneath, and over the kingdom of heaven and its glory above. The blood of Jesus is all-powerful in the human heart. Since the blood serves so powerfully with God and over Satan, doesn't it satisfy even more powerfully with man for whose sake it was actually shed? We may be sure of it. The wonderful power of the blood is especially demonstrated on behalf of sinners on earth. This is emphasized in the first book of Peter. Knowing that ye have been ransomed from your vain conversation, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 The word ransomed, literally redeemed, has a depth of meaning. It indicates particularly deliverance from slavery by emancipation or purchase. The sinner is enslaved under the hostile power of Satan, the curse of the law, and sin. Now it is proclaimed, Ye have been ransomed through the blood, which had paid the debt of guilt and destroyed the power of Satan, the curse, and sin. Where this proclamation is heard and received, Redemption begins in a true deliverance from a vain manner of life, from a life of sin. The word redemption, or ransom, includes everything God does for a sinner, beginning with the pardon of sin and giving of the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 14. It continues to the full deliverance of the body by the resurrection. Likewise, we also walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should not serve sin any longer. Romans 6, 4-6 those to whom Peter wrote were chosen to obey and be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus the Christ. 1 Peter 1, 2 It was the proclamation about the precious blood that had touched their hearts and brought them to repentance, awakening faith in them and filling their souls with life and joy. Each believer was an illustration of the wonderful power of the blood. Later, when Peter exhorts them to holiness, it is still the precious blood which is his plea. As he who has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. For it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 On that he would fix their eyes. For the Jew, in his self-righteousness and hatred of Christ, and for the heathen in his godliness, there was only one means of deliverance from the power of sin. It is still the one power that accomplishes daily deliverance for sinners. How could it be otherwise? The blood that provided so powerfully in heaven and over hell is also all-powerful in a sinner's heart. It is impossible for us to think too highly or to expect too much 
from the power of Jesus' blood. How does this power work? This is our third question. In what conditions, under what circumstances, can that power secure the mighty results it is intended to produce in us? The first answer is the same as it is everywhere in the kingdom of God, through faith. But faith is largely dependent on knowledge. If knowledge of what the blood can accomplish is imperfect, faith expects little, and the more powerful effects of the blood are impossible. Many Christians think that if they have received the assurance of the pardon of their sins through faith in the blood, they have a sufficient knowledge of its capability. They have no idea that the words of God, like God himself, are inexhaustible. They are deprived of a wealth of meaning and blessing that surpasses all understanding. They do not remember that when the Holy Spirit speaks of cleansing through the blood, such words are only the imperfect human expressions of the effects and experiences by which the blood, in an unspeakably glorious manner, will reveal its heavenly life-giving power to the soul. Feeble conceptions of its power prevent the deeper, more perfect demonstrations of its effects. As we seek to find out what the scripture teaches about the blood, we will see that faith in the blood can produce greater results in us than we have ever known, and in the future a ceaseless blessing may be ours. Our faith may be strengthened by noticing what the blood has already accomplished. Heaven and hell bear witness to that. Faith will grow by exercising confidence in the superabundance of the promises of God. Let us heartily expect that as we enter more deeply into the fountain, its cleansing, quickening, life-giving power will be revealed more blessedly. We know that in bathing we enter into the most intimate relationship with the water. We give ourselves up to its cleansing effects. The blood of Jesus is described as an open fountain against sin and against uncleanness. Zechariah 13, 1 By the power of the Holy Spirit, it streams through the heavenly temple. Scripture There is a river, the streams of which shall make glad the city of God, the sanctuary of the tents of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her as the morning dawns. Psalm 46 to five. By faith I place myself in closest touch with this heavenly stream. I yield myself to it. I let it cover me and go through me. I bathe in the fountain. It cannot withhold its cleansing and strengthening power. I must in simple faith turn away from what is seen to plunge into that spiritual fountain which represents the Saviour's blood with the assurance that it will manifest its blessed power in me. So let us, with childlike, persevering, expectant faith, open our souls to an ever-increasing experience of the wonderful power of the blood. But there is a second reply to the question of what else is necessary for the blood to manifest its power. Scripture connects the blood most closely with the Spirit. Only where the Spirit works can the power of the blood be demonstrated. The Spirit and the Blood we read in 1 John that there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. 1 John 5, 8 
The water refers to baptism and to repentance and the laying aside of sin. The blood witnesses to redemption in Christ. The Spirit is He who supplies power to the water and the blood. The Spirit and the blood are also associated in Hebrews, where we read, How much more shall the blood of the Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? Hebrews 9.14 It was by the eternal Spirit in our Lord that His blood had its value and power. It is always through the Spirit that the blood possesses its living power in heaven and in the hearts of men. The blood and the Spirit always bear testimony together. Where the blood is honoured in faith or preaching, the Spirit will work, and where He works, He always leads souls to the blood. The Holy Spirit could not be given until the blood was shed. The living bond between the Spirit and the blood cannot be broken. It should be noted that if the full power of the blood is to be manifested in our souls, we must place ourselves under the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Scripture, the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said unto you. John 14:26. We must firmly believe that he is in us, and that he carries on his work in our hearts. Jesus prayed that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. John 17, 22-23 We must live as those who know that the Spirit of God dwells within them as a seed of life and he will bring to perfection the hidden, powerful effects of the blood. Scripture But if Christ is in you, the body is truly dead because of sin, but the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up the Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. For all that are led by the Spirit of God the same are sons of God. Romans 8, 10-11, 14 We must allow him to lead us. Through the Spirit, the blood will cleanse, sanctify, and unite us to God. When the Apostle desired to arouse believers to listen to God's voice with his call to holiness, Be ye holy, for I am holy, he reminded them that they had been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Necessary Knowledge People must know that they have been redeemed and what that redemption signifies. But above all, they must know that it was not with corruptible things like silver and gold, things in which there was no power of life, but with the precious blood of the Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 To have a correct perception of what the preciousness of that blood was, as the power of a perfect redemption, would be the power of a new and holy life. Beloved Christians, that statement applies to us also. We must know that we are redeemed by the precious blood. We must know about redemption and the blood before we can experience its power. 
we will experience more fully the blessings and benefits in proportion to how fully we understand what redemption is and what the power and preciousness of the blood are, by which redemption has been obtained. Let us submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit to be led into a deeper knowledge of redemption.